Welcome everyone to worship. Before we go into our service, I want to highlight three announcements, but there is a lot on the back of the bulletin that you should read and know about, so please take some time today to look at the back and read everything that is there. Uh, First, we are having a congregational meeting immediately following the morning worship service today for the purpose of acting on the Pulpit Search Committee's recommendation to call Reverend Heath Cross as pastor of this church. Um, We will not have nursery for the congregational meeting, so after the worship service ends, we'll have about five minutes to use the restrooms and for you to get your kids from the nursery, if that applies to you, and bring them back for our meeting. Um, And we're looking forward to that. Uh, Secondly, the youth are meeting tonight at 7.15 at the McCool's home at the end of East Park Street. And lastly, please mark your calendars for Friday, April 14th through the 16th, which will be a special weekend for our church. We'll have a men's rally. We'll have uh, events for all people, for families, for for kids on Saturday. Uh, Just please put that on your calendar as we... Look forward to hearing from Mike Calvert, and more information on that will be forthcoming. God invites us to worship him this morning by the power of his spirit in the name of his son, Jesus. So please take a few moments as the music plays to quiet your hearts and your minds as we prepare to worship God.
Would you please stand for our call to worship? Our call to worship is from Isaiah 61, verses 10 through 11. Hear God's call to you to worship Him. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Would you sing praise to God with hymn number 115, All Creatures of Our God and King. Let's worship with hymn 115.
Father, Son, and Spirit, we worship you this morning. We gather to praise your name, to praise who you are and your good works, the salvation that you have given to us by grace through faith alone. Holy Spirit, would you guide this worship service? Would you bless us and encourage our hearts as we worship you this morning? And would you lead us in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. We have a special guest this morning, a missionary we support, Wes Baker. And Wes, if you want to get situated right there, uh, we're glad to have him. He is a missionary with Peru Mission. And without further ado, Wes, take it away. Well, it's so good to be with you all this morning. Um, I actually have a little bit of history in Mississippi. I went to Reformed Theological Seminary way back when and was ordained in this presbytery and was pastor of Lebanon Presbyterian Church down in Learned, Mississippi for a number of years before going to Peru. But I have been in Peru for the last, uh, going on 24 years now, and uh, the Lord has given us a wonderful team down there, and as I often tell folks when they ask us how things are going, I say, we're not sure what we're doing, but we're having a lot of fun, and the Lord's doing some good things in spite of us. Over the years, uh, the Lord has uh, enabled us to plant a number of churches up in the mountains in the city and state of Cajamarca. We've lived down on the coast now for over 20 years and have four churches in the city of Trujillo. We're getting started this month with a new church plant in another city about two hours south of us. We have a seminary with about 50 to 60 students in it. We've got a number of candidates for the ministry that are in the process of, of uh, w- working towards ordination, and they'll be, Lord willing, uh, new church planters as well. Uh, the Lord has helped us to establish a Christian school with 270 students in it. We have an extensive university ministry on, uh, well, we've got about 12 university campuses in, Peru, in, in Trujillo, and we have an extensive presence there on that. And a number of other things, a child development program, uh, you'll have to come down and see us. We'd love to have a short-term team, perhaps, from this church sometime. Uh, thank you all for uh, letting me come this weekend and, and tell you a little bit about the work in Peru, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again this evening, uh, perhaps uh, for the evening service when I'll get to, to preach. So thank you very much. Oh, also, back in the back in the foyer, uh, we've got our, our year-end report, so if you want to see a little bit about Peru Mission what went on last year, and a little bit of a prospectus for this year. Uh, that report is in the back on, uh, on the table. And also, if you're interested in getting on our email list, we send out an e-bulletin once a month, and if you just put your name and your email address on there and hand this to me, or you can take a picture of it and, uh, and, and, and then text it to the little phone number that's on there, then I'll get it and make sure that you get on our mailing list. Thank you all so much. It's great to get to worship with you today. Thank you very much, Wes. We have a moment to pray.
And I'd like to lead us in that prayer now. Let's go before the Lord and pray together. Let's pray. Lord God, you are holy, righteous, and good. You're all-powerful and all-loving. And as we heard from the call to worship, as a garden causes what's sown in it to sprout, just like we're seeing in our gardens today, you'll cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. You've clothed us with garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness, the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, who took upon himself our sin and imputed to us his righteousness by faith alone. He became guilty, we became innocent. He was murdered and we were given eternal life in him. He was raised to life and we will meet him one day soon. Lord Jesus, we rejoice greatly this morning in you. Our souls exult in you, our God and Savior. And at the same time as we exult in you, we grieve. We grieve the loss of our brother Robert, and we thank you for leading his service on Monday. Father, we pray that you would continue to be near Carol, to Kyle, Macy, and their family. The next days and weeks and months will present their own reminders of Robert and of his, of his joys, of his personality and his quirks. And in these reminders, we pray that you would point his family to the day when we will worship you with him, side by side in our glorified bodies, free of sickness and death. God, our days are limited, and we ask you to make use of them to your glory. Lord, we are also uh, grateful uh, for Wes being here this morning, sharing about his ministry. We pray you would continue to bless his ministry, that you would encourage his heart, that you would strengthen him, both body and soul, to continue serving you in Peru uh, for the blessings that you're pouring out there. We're so grateful to hear about that. God, we're also grateful for Heath Cross and his family. We ask that you would anoint his words with your spirit this morning, that you would bring life and light to our lives through your word preached to our hearts, and that you would give this congregation great peace and unity during the congregational meeting and prepare the way for us, Holy Spirit. You are high and lifted up, God. You are near to us. You are in us. Would you pour out your blessing on us this morning? We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Please pray with me. God, as we have heard from today from uh, Pastor Wes, uh, you are doing amazing things across the world, and we pray that you would continue to bless our tithes and offerings for those purposes, that you would continue to bring the gospel to those who have not heard it around the world in Peru and elsewhere in Louisville. God, we dedicate all that we give to you uh, for your glory, for your work, for your kingdom work, and we thank you for the opportunity to give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping and singing with hymn 345, hymn 345, which is glorious things of thee are spoken. Let's continue singing together. You may be seated. We're grateful to have Pastor Heath Cross again with us this morning to preach 
our morning message, and uh, he has been able to come with his family before, and we're glad to have him on the same day in which we have a congregational meeting to, um, Lord willing, call him as the next pastor of First Pres. So, um, Heath, I'll invite you up now, and we're grateful again to hear from you. Absolutely no pressure today, right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so glad to be back with y'all. And uh, Somebody's already asked me why I picked the passage that I picked uh, to read from, and I think that will become evident here shortly if anyone else is wondering that. But we're going to read from, uh, I'm actually going to read two passages to you. Not my normal practice, uh, but they're very closely related in John's Gospel We're going to read verses 19 through 23 of chapter 1, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 3 and read verses 25 through 30. So starting in John 1, 19, hear God's word. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And then flip over to chapter 3, starting in verse 25. Now a discussion arose uh, between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And this ends the reading. Of God's Word. So a while back, I got a phone call from a minister, an older minister, a minister who I respect a lot and who I've been aware of for a long, long time, but I'd never spoken to him. And so it was quite interesting to get a random phone call from him. And he had uh, listened to a couple of my sermons online and just wanted to encourage me, get to know me a little bit. And he started the conversation with uh, a simple question. He said, Heath, I just have a simple question for you today. Who is Heath Cross? And I thought to myself, that's a long story. And uh, some of you may be asking that uh, exact question today. Well, in our passage, a group of Jewish leaders are coming to John the Baptist, and they say, John, we have a question. Who is John the Baptist? And his answer, I think, will help us. This kind of gets to the question of identity. Who are you? Uh, his, his answer can actually help us answer that same question for ourselves. Who exactly are we? Who are you as a Christian? 
Who are you? So that's what we're going to look at today. Three points. I want to talk about who we are not, then secondly, who we are, and then thirdly, as a result of who we are, what we have. So number one, who we are not. Uh, so right before Christmas, um, ministers are really busy around Christmas and Easter, and I was particularly busy, and in a quiet moment before a Bible study uh, that I was going to have to lead, I was going through my Feedly on my phone where I have all my digest of articles that I, I want to read for the week. I came across an article by Kevin DeYoung, and it was called The Crushing Obligation to Keep Doing More and More. And I thought to myself, well, I need something else to do, so I read the article. And he talked about the fact that a lot of Christians live with a kind of constant, low-level guilt that they're not doing enough, that they need to be doing more. But they're already busy. So it's this perplexing thing that everyone has to deal with. Deal with. And, you know, that's kind of the closing scene of Schindler's List. It's like you always could have done more. And we know this. And so Kevin DeYoung went on to say, uh, that very early, very, as a very young man, before he was even a minister, when he was going to seminary, at his graduation service, Gordon Hugenberger, who was a adjunct professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary outside of Boston and also was the pastor for many years of Park Street Church in Boston, well, he came to the graduation service and preached to these graduating students on John 1, the passage that we read just a few moments ago. And the... So I, I, I wanted to hear this sermon, the way De Young, De Young described it. So I looked around, and I found, actually, he had, that Hugenberger had preached a version of it at his church to his congregation, and I was able to find it. So he basically started the sermon by saying, you know, we all have confessions. We all have creeds that we believe and that we recite. So we have the Apostles' Creed. We have the Nicene Creed. We have the Westminster Confession, which a confession is supposed to summarize what we believe about God and kind of what we believe about ourselves. So Hugenberger said, today I'm going to teach you a, the first confession in the New Testament that was given, and it's John the Baptist's confession. So it goes like this. I need some participation today. Are y'all ready? Can we do this? I know we're Presbyterian, and that's not normal, but I need you to do it today, and it's going to be good for you. And I was thinking to myself as we were singing several of these hymns, like uh, the, the, All Creatures of Our God and Sing says, Ye stars of evening, find a voice. All right, so we need to find a voice. And then how can we keep from singing? All of that sort of thing. We've got to use our voices today. So it goes like this. I ask the question that the Pharisees asked to John the Baptist, Who are you? And you respond, I am not the Christ. Easiest confession you've ever memorized. Who are you? I'm not the Christ. Ready? Who are you? Ooh, that's good. It's real good. Let's do it one more time. It was so good. Who are you? I am not the Christ. That's right. I'm going to pull that back out in a few moments. So hang on to it. I think you can remember it. Do you really believe that, though? That you are not the Christ? The first temptation that Satan made upon man was what? You will be like God. No, you can be God. You can be all-knowing. You can be all-everything, all-powerful. And uh, we're constantly tempted to think that that's true. I think even more so with the Internet. And I'm teaching a series on technology at my present church right now on Wednesday nights. And it's kind of what I'm going to be talking about this Wednesday night. I call it the burden of being. It's like we're, we're tempted to think that we can be omnipotent and omniscient. Like we can be everywhere all at once because we have this supercomputer in our pockets that like we can get on a Zoom call and be talking to somebody far across the world. And we, we just get, we, we get spread out and we get worn out. And if 
you know, you listen to some people's, like, realizing we're not the Christ, you listen to some people's descriptions, like job descriptions. Um, I read an article the other day of a young lady saying she was ready to retire at the age of 26 because her job description was so ridiculous. And uh, she said she was looking for other jobs, and she found an article, uh, or she found a job description for a, a job that was posted that said, um, you need, you need, it was some technology, it said you needed five years of experience with the technology. Well, the problem was the technology had only existed for two years. It was, we want the Christ. We want somebody perfect. You look at some non-married young folks. Uh, some, what are you looking for in a spouse? A lot of young women, they're having trouble because what they're looking for is the Christ. They're looking for somebody who's perfect. Uh, and what parents expect from children. It's the same way. I had a parent tell me a while back, uh, they were describing their daughter to me. And they said they, they just looked at her as a saint in training. She's like six years old, but she's super spiritual. Uh, she was gonna be, this actually came out of a parent's mouth. She might be the next Joan of Arc, for all we know. They expected their child to be the Christ. That's the idea. John the Baptist was not the Christ. He had a great pedigree. I mean, an angel announced his birth. That's a pretty good start. Uh, your, your dad's the high priest of Israel. That's a pretty good start. You're Jesus' cousin. That's a pretty good start. You're, you baptized Jesus. That's a really good start. But John says, no, I confess. I freely confess and do not deny that I am not the Christ. Here's a word for you to end this point. During the Reformation, uh, you know, it was, it was rough times. It wasn't all joy and happiness. It was, it was a difficult time for many of the leaders of the Reformation. Martin Luther told a story that Philip Melanchthon, his right-hand man, he's kind of what John the Baptist was to Jesus, Melanchthon was that to Luther. And Melanchthon was a warrior. And he would come to Luther and say, Martin, it's not going well. We're having this trouble over here in this part of Europe, and we're having this trouble over here. And Luther would respond every time to let Philip cease to rule the world. In other words, God's got this. We're not the Christ. God is in control of this. So let's end, end the point. Who are you? I am not the Christ. Very good. Number two. So now let's talk positively. If we're not the Christ, then who are we positively? So this goes to John chapter 3. John, said, John the Baptist said, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So John calls himself the friend of the bridegroom. What does that make us in the text? The church is the bride of Christ. So the church is called the bride of Christ all over the scripture. The Bible uses that analogy all over the scriptures. One of the clearest places it does that that's instructive for us on our topic today is the book of Hosea. It actually, it's a real life really happened yet allegorical story that explains God relationship, God's relationship with his church. And I love the way Tim Keller summarizes the book of Hosea, particularly chapter 3. He says, God's relationship with us is like, like a marriage, but God's relationship with us is like a bad marriage. Right? We are an unfaithful bride, but nonetheless, we are a bride. So we are not the Christ. We are rebellious. We are unfaithful. We are sinful, but the gospel is that Christ comes to love people in their rebellion and sin and call them away from it 
to himself. He calls us to himself to heal us from our rebellion and ungratefulness. I read a short story that I, I thought there was a good line in it. It's, beautiful. it's, it's about a man who is, is dating and then marries a woman whom his friends think is crazy. Uh, they're not fond of this woman. They don't want him marrying the woman. He marries her nonetheless. At the end of the story, they've just given birth, this couple, uh, to twin daughters. And this is what he says. Now I have these two babies who smell like Thanksgiving pies. And when they're old enough, I'm going to tell my little girls that everybody looks a little crazy if you're looking close enough. And if you can't look that close, then you don't really love them. And all the while, your life goes around, and your life goes around, and your life goes around, and around, and around. And if you keep waiting for somebody perfect, then you'll never find love. Because it's how much you love them that makes them perfect. That summarizes God's relationship with us. He doesn't love us because we're perfect. It's his love for us that's going to make us perfect. That's what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, he doesn't love us because we're perfect. But his love is ultimately going to perfect us. That's what Christian love is meant to do. I mean, the, the psychologist, John Verveke, I mean, he's not a Christian, but he talks about how the early church grew. And his big point is that what was radical about the early church was that they loved with what the Bible called agape, that form of love. It's a radical form of love, that, that word used in the New Testament, because it means loving people who don't deserve it, loving people who appear unlovable, loving people the way Christ loved us. We were unworthy. We were unfaithful, right? And so the early church, what did they start doing? They, they were kind. They poured out compassion and love and sympathy on widows and on orphans and on strangers and on different ethnicities, and on outcasts and the like. And people saw this and they said, wow, this is radically different from anything that anyone had ever experienced. And see, that's how God loves us. And that's what changes us. Uh, if you want a biblical example of that, the Apostle Peter. I love his story because he denies Christ three times. And you think, I mean, he's an apostle. Um, if... Uh, if I got up here today and, and denied Christ three times, I would not become an apostle. I would be on trial before a presbytery. But Peter's restoration, what happens? Jesus just says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? All I cared about was Peter's heart for him. But as Jesus tells Peter before those denials, so you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, he says something astonishing. He says, but I've prayed for you. You're praying for the man who's denying you. That's agape. I've prayed for you. And when you turn, strengthen the brothers. Not if you turn, when you turn. Why was Jesus so confident that Peter was going to turn around? That he was going to get straightened out? Um, he was so confident, not because Peter was such a great guy and so strong-willed, but because he was confident in his own plan for Peter. He knew what his love was going to do to Peter's life over the long haul, such to the point that Peter was going to be willing to die 
uh, for Jesus. One of my favorite quotes, Thomas Goodwin, great Puritan author, he said, God often orders it, then when he is at hand with the greatest mercies for us and bringing about our greatest good, it is then that we are most of all sinning against him, which he does to magnify his love all the more. Jesus loves sinners, and he, he magnifies his love toward sinners. God knows that we are not the Christ. He didn't sign up to save a bunch of Christs. The Christ came to actually save us. Instead, we are Christ's imperfect bride, and he is transforming us through his love until that love perfects us. So who we're not, who we are, here's the last point. Now, as the bride of Christ, here's what we have. Here's something you can take away today. John 1.23, John says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Uh, that translation there is, uh, isn't perfect for two reasons. First, because the author of the gospel, John, not John the Baptist, but the author, John, reserves the phrase, I am, for Jesus. That's a special phrase in the book of John. John the Baptist does not say, I am the voice. Secondly, uh, in the Greek, there's no definite article, so it shouldn't be the voice, it's a voice. The most literal translation I could come up with of this passage, of this verse, is John the Baptist is saying, I speak with a voice. I speak with a voice of one crying in the wilderness. So you ask John, the friend of the bridegroom, who he is, he says, I'm not the, the Messiah, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I am a guy who has a voice. That's all that he is, a guy that has a voice. Now you have a voice too. That's something you have in common, right? The question is, how are you using it in your life? You know, read the book of James sometime. You can use your voice to bless, and you can use your voice to curse. Um, you can use your voice to scream at your kids. You can use your voice to sing them to sleep. Um, you can use your voice to scream at your spouse. You can use your voice to say, I love you. There's many different ways that we can use our voice. John the Baptist's way of using his voice is promoting Jesus. That was his number one mission. And it's summarized in the phrase when he says, he must, he's talking about Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. Um, applying that to our voice, it means I need to talk less about myself, and I need to talk more about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. I think we should actually add that to our confession from earlier. Can y'all remember it? Can y'all remember it? Have we memorized it yet? Who are you? I am not the Christ. Here's the next part. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's try it. Who are you? I am not the Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. So good. You'll be able to remember that the rest of your life. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Now you're using your voices. See what you're doing? Lincoln Duncan told a story uh, years ago about a man whom I knew. Very, I, I met him shortly before he died, but he was very kind and, and very helpful to me, named Don Brazil, who was an elder at First Pres Jackson, uh, where I was a member before I became a minister. And uh, Don was on his deathbed, and he was in a lot of pain, and he had been unresponsive for about 24 hours. And Ligon said he showed up at Don's house to see him. And the family said, well, Pastor, there's really no need for you to come in. I mean, he's, he's non-responsive. He's not going to hear you. 
But Ligon said, I walked in the room, I sat down by the bed, and I said, Don. And Ligon's got a strong voice, so, Don. And he said, Don's eyes immediately popped open. And they had the last conversation that Don ever had in his life for a couple of minutes there. And here's, Ligon reflecting on that said, I am absolutely certain that the reason Don responded to me that way wasn't because I was his friend, but because for 15 years, every Lord's Day, he had heard my voice reading the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, and he recognized the voice which over and over again had brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. And so in the talk where I heard this, Ligon told the seminary students, I want your voice in the hearts and minds of your people. And if your voice is going to be in the hearts and minds of people, you make sure that voice is about Jesus. Not about your political views, not about current events, not about yourself, not about whatever, that it's about Jesus because he must increase and we must decrease. One more story. Best example of this I've ever seen of somebody who decreased so that Christ could increase and use their voice to share Christ, even in their own family. It's the story of the daughter of the great Presbyterian minister, James Henley Thornwell. Thornwell was a great man of God, but he felt like an absolute failure. Uh, This haunted him the rest of his life after it happened. He was excited to announce the wedding of his daughter, Nancy. This was his oldest daughter. Uh, A biographer said that she was the child in their family who was most like him, and she was kind of the apple of his eye. You're not supposed to have favorites, right? But he was very, very fond of her. But just a few days before the wedding, she became very ill, and James Henley Thornwell was out of town. He returned to town to find her on her deathbed, suffering very badly. And this is a quote from his biographer. He came to his daughter's bedside and said, Oh, my dear daughter, such a tragedy. She replied, Father, do not weep. I know my Savior. He said, but this was to be your wedding, your whole life, still in front of you, and you're dying. And she said, Father, but I now go to a greater groom that I am prepared to meet, a greater groom who you taught me about, my Savior. Nancy Witherspoon Thornwell was buried in her wedding gown, And her tombstone reads, Her death was triumphant and glorious. She descended to the grave adorned as a bride to meet her bridegroom. That story has a double application for us. First, because this great preacher who'd spent his whole life preaching Christ and teaching his daughter about Christ was crushed because he couldn't save his daughter. He needed to be reminded that somebody else had already saved her. Um, That somebody else loved her more than he loved her and was going to love her in death and beyond death. The true bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. And second, Nancy, this young lady, knew that she wasn't the Christ, but she also knew she was a part of the bride of Christ. And she used her voice I love when my daughters do this. It's always nice when they can call the preacher out and say, it's time to actually believe what you're telling other people to believe. And she did this. She used her voice to remind her father of the gospel. 
And her voice continues speaking to this day every time that this story is recounted. So, why did I pick John 1 and John 3 to preach on today? Well, first off, I needed to remind you, I am not the Christ. But I also needed to remind you that you are not the Christ. And that I hope that we have a long, fruitful time together and that we do wonderful things in the city. But we're not the saviors. At the end of the day, that is up to Jesus. And so I want to end again by asking you this question. Who are you? I am not the Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now we're using our voices. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that we have a glorious Savior who proclaims a glorious gospel to us. And there can be so much pressure on us. Um, parents, children, you know, school can be, have so much pressure for a young person. Careers can have so much pressure for those of us who are adults. Marriage can be full of so much pressure. The world seems like it's exerting so much pressure on us. Use this message, use this passage to remind us when times are hard, when pressure is high, just to simply say these, John's confession to ourselves. I am not the Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. And help us to actually believe it. For we ask it in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 693. 693.
Now, because you all are having a congregational meeting after the service, I'm going to step out. It would not be proper for me to be here while you were voting on me. Uh, but until I see you again, receive God's benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as we continue this, our short earthly pilgrimage. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. First Presbyterian, we invite you to come.